Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Wednesday, the 3rd of February. If you are not yet uh, familiar with the story of Alexei Navalny, uh, he's a prominent Russian opposition leader. He was formally sentenced yesterday in a Russian court to two years and eight months in a penal colony, that would be known here as a prison, um, for violating the terms of his probation. Now, notably, the violation of his probation was that uh, in order to get treatment for a a poisoning that he experienced at the hands of his own government. So in order to get treatment for having been poisoned, which would have been poisoning unto death, by the Russian government, uh, he went to Berlin in Germany to get treatment. And that treatment was successful, and he then returned to Russia, where they promptly arrested him. Um, for violating uh, the terms of his house arrest. And so there was what uh, Navalny described as a show trial and a demonstration of weakness. He urged his supporters um, who have been taking to the streets and again took to the streets yesterday after his sentencing. uh, He encouraged them with these words, they can't arrest the entire country. Uh, But they're trying, and thousands of people have now been arrested. This is, um, if you have an opportunity to listen to Navalny's statement in the context of a Russian court yesterday, um, let me just tell you that you will see and hear a a picture of courage. You will see and hear a man who has faced death and um, finds himself on, on the other side of that. And now for Christians, there's an opportunity here to talk about what it means to Uh, from a Christian perspective, offer one's life as a living sacrifice. From the perspective of Alexei Navalny, who, by all accounts, is not a Christian. I I don't know his heart on this matter. What I do know is that we can look at his testimony, and we can point to him, and we can say, that is a picture of a person who is has proven himself willing to die for his beliefs, and who is willing to stand up, not only for his own rights, but for the rights of others. There is a lot of content in what he said, but the way in which he says it, um, and if I were to describe a person whose jaw is set, right, his jaw is set, and uh, and we need to be praying for him, we need to be praying for the people of Russia, and we need to be praying for what I guess at this point I hope is a a uh, peaceful transition of power in that country. I, it is hard for me to imagine that uh, Putin is going to be able to remain in power long term unless he proves a willingness to uh, to imprison, as Navalny describes it, an entire country. There are thousands, I mean, tens of thousands of people on the streets in Russia uh, across the country in something like 11,000 cities. I mean, like, it's, it's everywhere. It's 
it's a it's a movement. And so let's be praying for that situation as well. Um, All kinds of business and economic headlines we could be discussing this morning. Uh, I bring to you John Brandon. He is a Forbes columnist. He is also now the digital media director at Northwestern Media. And he's up next. We'll be right back. John Brandon, he is a Forbes columnist. He covers innovation and workplace strategy. He has uh, been a columnist for the Fox News Network, um, Entrepreneur Magazine, many others. He's working on a book about productivity with purpose. Comes out early next year uh, in Revel Books, a Baker Baker House um, label uh, imprint. And, um, and he's also now the digital media director for Northwestern Media. So, hey, John Brandon, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome home. Yeah. <laughs> Fair? Yes, it is definitely home. It's a homecoming. Yeah, tell, tell people about that because uh, that, that will be of interest to our listeners. It's actually a really cool story. So it starts with my grandma. She actually accepted Christ through the ministry of the radio station here in about 1950, 51, uh, which started the journey with my mom who became a Christian who went to Northwestern. She met my dad. Uh, I came here, I actually became a Christian at uh, University of Northwestern myself during my time here, and I met my wife here. So, yeah, a lot of really interesting things. So it's, um, it's like, God is amazing, right? And that is a generational testimony, um, and we just want to pause and like thank him for that, because that is, um, that's a wonderful testimony. Um, You write about digital things like you you write in you write in digital magazines about digital things and so let's pause and remind people um really kind of how media has changed and digital media what what does that mean what is digital media um and because it's you it's ubiquitous we all rely on it all the time and yet i don't think we often think about what we're relying on Sure, and and we can talk about this later, but if you ask Elon Musk, uh, the founder of Tesla and kind of the famous entrepreneur, uh, that we are part of the machine, or at least we will be, so we're part of the digital media realm. I don't actually agree with that, but that could be coming in the next uh, decade or two. Um, but digital media is really just bits and bytes. It's anything that a programmer has created and that we can interface with in some way. And social media is the way that most of us think about um, interfacing with it. Like, right, we, we're like consumers of a lot of digital media. In fact, those of you who are consuming this right now, um, uh, streaming at MyFaithRadio.com or via the Faith Radio app, are consuming this via digital media. Um, but social media is then the way that we sort of engage back. Talk with us about social media. And I know you have a piece at Forbes.com about Clubhouse a new social media app. You can tell us about that as well. Yeah, and I don't know if you want to talk about Elon Musk the whole time, but he just had a really interesting comment that we we interface with our phones at 100 bits, which means that we're typing on them, we're talking to them, we're using social media to talk with other people. 100 bits is really, really low. He'd like it to be much higher when we have implants and things like that. 
again, I don't really agree with that uh, strategy of digital media in the future, but we are constantly interfacing with our phones and with each other. I, I actually think it's gotten a little bit scary because if you've ever been to the mall uh, during COVID or gone to pretty much any outdoor event recently, people are constantly using their phones. And guess what? They're almost always using social media. Uh, mainly Facebook, a little bit of uh, Instagram, and a few other things. Um, the reason why it's kind of scary to me is because it's just getting, it, it increases each year. So, you know, I remember when the iPhone first came out, uh, and, and people have written about this topic many times, it wasn't really intended as a constant interface device. It was meant as an actual phone that you call people with. That's what Steve Jobs originally intended. And uh, there's a really smart guy named Cal Newport, and he's talked about that in his, this in his books. Uh, we, we actually transitioned the phone by our apps into something that's completely different. And so we're interfacing with them in a way that uh, Steve Jobs actually never really intended. Um, he kind of thought it was a cool phone that also plays music. So, so now we're living in an age when this device has become the portal into social media and it's become something that we're using constantly all day long. I think some of the stats are like 100 times, 150 times uh, per day. All right, I am talking with John Brandon. We're talking about social media. When we come back, we're going to talk specifically about Clubhouse. It's a new social media app. John's going to tell us everything we need to know. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Forbes columnist John Brandon. If you go to Forbes.com, you can read posts by John. The one we're going to discuss now is Clubhouse, the new social media app that we all need, right? We all need it? I don't know. Do I need another social media app? I don't know. I have a friend who's on Clubhouse. She thinks it's great. Tell me about it. So this is another way to interface with her phone. So, and, and this one is actually kind of hard to describe, and that's what makes it interesting and unique. Uh, they call it a drop-in audio app, and it's basically like you're entering an audio conference with other people. There's main speakers, so there's people who are maybe three or four people who kind of have the floor. They're in the panel, and then when you join, you're sort of in the gallery but you can raise your hand and join them up on the virtual stage and start talking. And, you know, I actually really, really like the app. Uh, I've used it a ton over the last week or two. Uh, I wrote the article. The response has been great. Um, I kind of wish Clubhouse uh, PR would contact me at some point because they don't seem to do that with journalists. Uh, but what's, what's unique about it is it gives you an opportunity to talk with people in real time it helps you focus on a topic for a while. So it's uh, it's not really similar to other social media apps where you're sort of interfacing um, asynchronously. It's more synchronous in terms of like if I'm talking, I have to kind of pay attention obviously when I'm talking and then I have to pay attention when I'm listening to someone as well. So I actually think it's a step in the right direction. But I also have some reservations about it, and I can get into those with you, too. Yeah, no, okay, let's um, let's talk about that. Um, I'm Android. Can I even do Clubhouse? Uh, sorry, you are not allowed to use Clubhouse. You have to use an iPhone. It's going to be my excuse, not getting on Clubhouse. <laughs> I would imagine that's going to change really, really soon. Yeah. Okay, talk with, talk with us about your, um, your reservations or your concerns. 
So this kind of gets into some brain science and some other things that we can talk about maybe even next time. This is one of my pet topics, um, how the brain works, how we can focus on certain things and other things. There is something called the salience network in our brains that allows us to focus on things at um, various times. And it's actually, I believe it's a God-given system in the brain. If we didn't have that, we couldn't focus on things. We'd have to focus on everything. But what happens when something is new, um, our brain tends to tune into it and starts fixating on it, and and we really like new things. And so what happens with an app is like Clubhouse is we, we get into Clubhouse, we like it, and then all of a sudden we're going to another audio conference, and then we're speaking at one, and it's kind of addictive, and, and then pretty soon we're, we're on Clubhouse all day long listening to all these conferences, and, you know, the beds aren't getting made, the kids aren't getting fed. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's almost too good of an app when you use it. You're sort of like, uh, where, where was this all along? And it, it kind of has that level of, like, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram where you feel like you sort of have to use it. And there's a fear of missing out too. Um, And those are all things that kind of keep us on our phones even longer. Mm, Yeah, that would be my concern is, um, you know, there's there's already so many things in media to sort of get lost in. And this does seem like uh, another one of those. Okay, so can we um, transition to a conversation about books, real books? Sure. Books that have pages that turn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, so um, you have uh, at Forbes.com a piece about five recent books that will make you think and ponder. Um, What's on that list? So this is a really interesting thing for me because I'm just a huge reader and I'm constantly reading multiple books. I'm also writing a book. I just turned in the manuscript, actually. Oh, congratulations. And so, yeah, it took about six months. During that time, I read and studied and researched about 40 to 50 books. So it's interesting uh, when you ask me about books, it's kind of like, wow, there's just so many. Like, which ones should I even talk about? And my my editors at Forbes have encouraged me to write about innovation and innovative thinking. And so that's where every once in a while I'll do kind of a quick roundup of books that I'm reading. And and so this latest list is just one of many, many articles that I've done. Before Forbes, I wrote uh, for Inc. Magazine for 10 years, and I kind of did the same thing where I would just kind of do a quick roundup. Here's some books you should read. They're amazing. Um, now, I should also preface this by saying that I don't always agree uh, 100% with all the books that I read, you know, which would probably be kind of dangerous anyway. Um, the only book that I read uh, that I agree with 100% is the Bible. So, uh, But this list has some books that are just really well written, really interesting. They challenge your thinking. So one of them is called A Series of Fortunate Events. This is one, if you like Bill Bryson, uh, the, the famous author, I was going to say American author, but I think he still lives in the UK. Um, it's just a really, really good description of how the human body works, how the brain works. Uh, there's a lot of really good jokes in that book. Um, I read it in literally one or two sittings and, and just kind of flew through that one. All right. And then you have a few others on the list. So the first one is A Series of Fortunate Events. 
Um, and then uh, you also have The Gift, 12 Lessons to Save Your Life. What's that book about? Well, that that one really hit home for me a lot because uh, it talks about kind of the prison of our minds and it talks about uh, concentration camps. The reason it hit home is because I visited a concentration camp myself in person uh, a couple different times. And uh, it's just one of those books that kind of paints a picture of like, what, what was life like back then? And I just remember when I visited a concentration camp, I kept thinking about what life would have been like in a camp like that. I don't know if, you, if you've ever been to a place like that before, but there's just something about the geography of the place. Um, and then also the book talks about kind of the, the prisons that we create in our minds and for me, that I kept thinking about it from a biblical standpoint and, and kind of a, uh, a scriptural standpoint in terms of like sometimes sin and, and our past can kind of hold us prison in prison. And, and what I think is really interesting from a biblical perspective is that we're released from that. Um, if anyone's listening to this right now and something has happened in your past and you feel like you've been imprisoned by that, uh, through Jesus Christ, through our, your faith in Christ, you can be released from it. And as Christians, we, we can actually uh, live in a, in the sense of not ever being in prison anymore. Uh, so that, that book, she didn't actually talk about those topics, but that's what I was thinking about when I was reading it. Okay, that's one of the things I love about reading. It's also one of the things I love about listening to podcasts that are you know, they're, they're not intended to be presented from a Christian worldview, but they're conversations that are happening that, that lead my mind because I'm spending time in the Word in much the same way that you are. They lead my mind to make connections that those people on that podcast or that author in that book are not making because they're not operating out of a Christian worldview. And I think it helps me in my, uh, in my conversational interactions with others to then be able to um, more quickly make the connections that other people are not making and and identify those and and have those be you know interesting points of conversation um so i i love this i love that you read widely um we might have to you know periodically circle back around to hey what are you reading and what's it get, what's it leading you to think about one of the things you disclose in um, in this piece is that one of your favorite books uh, of recent memory is factfulness i think that um, that's a couple of years old, if I um, if I'm remembering correctly, and it's a book about what's wrong with the world and why things are better than we tend to think they are. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah. And in that book, I actually recommend to any Christian because it, yeah. it really has a lot of interesting comments about poverty and the state of the world and some of the assumptions we have about how bad things are. And he, uh, you know, he actually unfortunately died of pancreatic cancer uh, about a year ago or two years ago. Mm. I think while he was writing Factfulness at the very end of the manuscript. Um, but what's, uh, what I really liked about reading that book is that he just brings to light so many things that are encouraging about people are addressing these issues. You know, Bill Gates has really been very active in philanthropy uh, so it's a very positive book. You get done reading it and you think, well, maybe maybe people actually are addressing some of these problems in the world, un unlike I maybe thought they were. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We are going to need to uh, 
recognize, find, discover, and discuss some of those good news stories about uh, the way that people are positively addressing the issues of the day. Um, we, we look forward to doing so with you as you keep your finger on the pulse not only of digital media but innovation and maybe good things that are happening around the world in places and spaces um, through entrepreneurs that we might otherwise not know about. Awesome. Yeah, thanks that for having That sounds like a good assignment, right? Yeah, I love it. Yep. Hey, welcome welcome, welcome aboard, welcome home, and uh, and thanks for being with us. That's John Brandon. Um, you can find him on all, uh, on all the socials. We'll be right back. So some time back, we had a conversation um, with Kara Powell about the whole idea of withing. And what it what it means to walk with the next generation, I mean, literally to walk with them, withing, what does that look like? It's it's life really up close and really personal um, with the next generation. And my next uh, conversation partner here today is Dr. Kelly Flanagan, and he has a book entitled True Companions, a book for everyone about the relationships that see us through. I'm going to describe this um, as the withing book as applied to every other kind of relationship. Not this is so this is about loving each other up close and personal um always in ways that are appropriate um but it 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 gets to the issue that we're trying to love one another from a distance um from the other room. And and what Kelly is really inviting us to do is to love one another up close and personal again with the phileo love, with the with the companionship love. Um, uh, you know, brother and sister in Christ kind of love. It doesn't matter the generation. It doesn't really matter the relationship. So it's more than a marriage book, but it is a marriage book. And it's entitled True Companions, a book for everyone about the relationships that see us through. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. We're accustomed to a God who remains in one place, a God who sits enthroned in the heavens and rules and ordains, Dare we envision a God who follows us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives, who tracks us down and wins us over? Isn't this the kind of God described in the Bible? You'll have to go no farther than the third chapter of the first book before you find God in the role of seeker. Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes, partly to cover their bodies, partly to cover their sin. But does God wait for them to come to Him? No, the words ring in the garden. Where are you? Genesis 3 and verse 9. With that question, God began a quest for the heart of humanity that continues up to and through the moment you hear these words. This is Max Locato. Kelly Flanagan. Um, he is a clinical psychologist. He's the founder of Artisan Clinical Associates, which has a really cool website that I checked out. They're in Naperville, Illinois. Um, so if you don't live there, I don't think you can go see him in person. But we're going to talk to him today. And we have uh, copies of his book, um, which is True Companions, a book for everyone about the relationships that see us through. And we have copies um, to share with you. So as you listen to this conversation, if you think to yourself, wow, I really need that. Um, I need somebody to show me the way to grow old with this person to whom I am committed and who I love. But um, 
with whom I don't really yet know how to walk in intimacy. That's what this book is really all about, True Companions, a book for everyone about the relationships that see us through. Dr. Kelly Flanagan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thanks for having me on. It's good to be with you. So I love the scene where you are standing in the doorway um, of your son's bedroom, and maybe we'll just start there. Yeah. 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 So um, I share a scene in, in in the life of my marriage with my wife where um, I think I was in the kitchen and she's in the doorway to my, at the time he was probably 11 year old son's bedroom, Quinn. She calls me over and she says, come, come here. You've, you've got to see this. And I walk over and it's you know, it's just car. It's the carnage of an 11 year old who has not been held accountable for keeping his room clean like he should have been. And, uh, and we're looking at it and I'm like, yeah, this is like, this is really bad. Like, what, what do you want me? Like, do you, do you want me to like, go, go get him? Uh, she's like, no, like, should you want me to give him some consequence for this? Like, no. And I said, what do you, what do you want me to what, what do you want? Why'd you call me? <laughs> like, what did you want me to see? And she said, I just wanted you to witness it with me. I just want, mm-hmm. I just needed you here with me in this moment. Um, and you know, she and I, uh, at that time I was in the middle of writing true companions and really sort kind of at that stage of, of sorting out what the book is about. And, uh, and I had started to share with her that, you know, I set out, I thought originally to write a book about agape love, unconditional divine love in in relationships. And I was really realizing more and more that the book was going to be about a different kind of love, as the Greeks describe it, philia, um, which is really companionship. And uh, and in that moment, I looked at her and I said, philia? And she said, yeah, philia. I just wanted you here with me in this, walking through this with me. Um, and it was sort of in that moment, actually, that the I think the idea and the the energy for the book was cemented. When you um, when you say philia, other people are probably going to um, uh, to recognize the word as phileo, and so I just want to say yes. that so that everybody who's listening knows what we're talking about. So when we um, when we talk about the varieties of ways in which love is described and addressed in the Bible, um, there are uh, there are multiple words for that. This is one of those words, and this is the companionship word. This is the withing word. Um, Talk with us about if this is missing in a marriage, like I think this is the one that we know when it's missing because it's the one we long for. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, I think the the irony of of marriage so often is that we go into it thinking that um, it's a place where we are going to um, engage in agape, sort of the unconditional divine love of God. And I think there's space in that for marriage. But when you ask married couples, and I'm a couples therapist, and I did my research on on marriage and marital satisfaction. When you ask them, what do they really want in a marriage? It's, I want to be close. I want to be intimate. I want to be not alone. I want to be, a, I want a companion. And um, so the irony is that, that unconditional love can, can happen from a long ways away. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the beautiful things that we see in the Bible in the New Testament is that at some point God said, I can love you unconditionally from up in heaven even, um, but I want to come be with you. Um, I want to enter into companionship with you. And, you know, in a manger, in a, in a you know, in a little town in uh, Judea, that's what happened. And and so um, I went I went to Scripture and I, I actually I, I went specifically to the story uh, uh, where Jesus has just been resurrected 
and his disciples are out fishing again. They haven't seen him again yet. And he's, uh, or maybe they have one time in the upper room. And, and now he, he appears to them on the beach. And I knew he asked Peter several times, do you love me? And I thought, I wonder what word for love he used there. I wonder if he used agape. And uh, in the original um, language, he actually, the first two times he says, do you love me? He uses the word agape. But the third time he says, do you phileo me? Do you philia me? And uh, in other words, not just do you love me unconditionally, but will you be my companion? Will you walk with me going forward? And and that was the answer that finally satisfied Jesus, and he quit asking. Um, and it sort of struck me that this is what the the Christian walk is about: is loving with, in the grit and the grace of being together and close, not just loving from a distance in an unconditional way that doesn't demand quite as much from us, actually. So we're talking with Dr. Kelly Flanagan, and we're talking about his book, True Companions, a book for everyone about the relationships that see us through. Our friends at InterVarsity Press have supplied a number of copies for us to share with you today. So if you are, um, if you're interested in uh, in growing together um, in this, in the possibility of true companionship, um, this is the book that's for you. So all, all you do to enter the drawing is text the word book to 877-933-2484, just the word book. Um, and again, the number is 877-933-2484. Kelly and I will be right back. I'm going to ask him to walk us through the conditions upon which this true companionship is built. We'll be right back. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. See who I was, I give him away. Today. Today. All right, so I don't even know if we're allowed to do what we're doing. Um, we're giving away copies of True Companions, <laughs> a book for everyone about the relationships that see us through. And I just noted uh, it doesn't even release until February the 9th. So mm, we might have to slow walk it out there in the mail. But um, um, that's exciting. I know. I know. We have copies, so I don't know. Okay. So um, if you've been saying to yourself, wow, I really want a copy of Kelly Flanagan's book and I can't get one fast enough, um, this today may be your day. So text the word book to 877-933-2484. Kelly, walk us through. Um, we probably won't get through all seven of them, at least not in, in, in any depth whatsoever. But in the book, you talk about true companionship being built on seven different conditions. The first one is we plan to walk together through everything. My husband and I call that one the all the way home to the father's house. Mm, I love that. That's a beautiful way to put it. You know, we have relationships in our life that are meant for like sort of specific domains, right? We have we have the friends maybe we go and we exercise with, or we have the friends that we, um, you know, uh, enjoy certain forms of entertainment with, or that we friends at work that we work with. But in true companionship, I think that's the idea: is that the, it's all of life. It's the whole human experience. You know, everything from the the, the hardest grit to the the greatest grace um, that we are going to experience it all together. Um, you're two people on a journey, and uh, and you're going to walk through the whole thing together. And you know, and in that sense, you know, not everyone is a, a true companion, and that's okay. I think it's good for us to get clear about who is in our lives, and then uh, invest in those relationships. Um, we talk about um, figuring it out as we go. Uh, that's a little step-by-step, hand-in-hand kind of conversation. Yeah. And then number three, we can't take away each other's loneliness, but we can share our loneliness with one another. I love that one. Can you explain mm-hmm. number four? We're committed to trading protection for connection. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's it's a it's an amazing phenomenon as a couples therapist. I think every couple calls me um, because there's a part of them that wants to connect more deeply with each other. Um, but when they show up in the therapy room for that first session, there's also a part of them that wants to protect themselves from each other, right? And so they have these sort of dueling purposes. And I think that's actually representative of most moments in most companionship is that we have sort of dueling purposes. We deeply want to connect. We want closeness. We want to be, we want to know each other as well as we can, but the truth is life has hurt us. It's wounded us. Um, and so early on in life, we developed forms of protection uh, to keep us safe, uh, not just from sort of the dangerous outsiders in our lives, but really from the people who are on the inside who can hurt us the most. Um, and so I think in companionship, you have to recognize that I want to connect with you, but I'm also tending to protect from you. And and wrestling through that, that tension and becoming more aware of what are my protections? What are the ways that I'm keeping you at bay, yet demanding you be close to me and putting you in an untenable bind? Um, and taking responsibility for observing those protections and beginning to move beyond them and showing up in a more open space and open-hearted space in the relationship where the connection I'm asking for you for, from uh, you for can actually happen. So trust is obviously, you know, just a, a huge part of this entire conversation. When we get to yes. number five, we will live and love in light of our fragility. I recognize I'm broken. I recognize my husband is broken. I'm also highly committed to not saying or doing things that would mm. break him. Mm. You know, the there's this fascinating way that we are wired neurologically, um, and and it's a, it's a phenomenon called habituation, actually, in, in the psychological literature. And the idea is that if, if you're exposed to something over and over and over again, and it's safe, you're actually neurologically wired to quit paying attention to it. Um, and uh, so in other words, like when we put on our clothes this morning, we notice the sensation on our skin at first, but by now and by the end of the day, we won't notice it because your brain goes, oh, that's safe. Let's not, it's not something you need to waste uh, you know, energy processing. Well, Okay, is that why things that like are super offensive when you smell them the first time, if you totally. had to live there, you would eventually just get used to that horrible, horrible smell? Totally. It's, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, offensive smells that are not, not, you know, non-dangerous. Um, it's why, yeah, you light a candle and you love it, you know, for 15 minutes and then you forget that it's lit and then someone else walks in the room and says, oh, it smells amazing in here. And you're like, I'm not, okay, I guess so. I guess it does. So the irony here is that we are wired if we feel relatively safe with our companions. You know, we have these moments of protection, but in general, we've decided they're mostly the safest people in the world because I've chosen to, to hitch my wagon to them. Well, then we are actually going to habituate to them. We are going to become less and less sensitive to them, less and less aware of them, and we're going to take our energies and direct them at all the other sort of crises being thrown at us in our lives. And so what we need to do is we need to resensitize ourselves to each other. We need to go out of our way to do that. And there's actually a line of research um, that was done by a psychologist at Stanford, Laura Carstensen, that says the only way, the only perspective that can consistently resensitize you to your companions is for you to realize that you are fragile human beings, life is transient, the end will eventually come, and this time in human skin is very temporary. And to the extent to which we can engage that truth, with not with fear and not with sadness, but with an opportunity to redeem that truth by making the most of our time now, um, then we are actually present to and prioritizing our companions in a way that, that can really lead to thriving companionship. But without it, we habituate, we take each other for granted, and the companionship uh, begins to slowly disintegrate. 
Okay, and then we arrive, and again, I'm talking with Dr. Kelly Flanagan. You can um, you can find him on all the socials. He has uh, he has a website. Let me be sure I get it right. DrKellyFlanagan.com. We're talking about his brand new book, True Companions, a book for everyone about the relationships that see us through. Um, and yes, we are, even though, I don't know, it might be naughty, um, we are giving away copies today. Um, and so if you want to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We arrive at number six, which, you know, I think everybody uh, recognizes the need for accountability, um, the need for, uh, you know, the person to whom I am closest in the world is also the person who sees my flaws and the errors of my ways. Talk about mutual accountability in marriage. Yeah. And by the way, I've been working on this book for three years. So if you want to give it away yesterday, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> go for it. I'm so excited to get this into people's hands, by the way. Um, yeah. So, so the idea, one of the ideas that I share in, in True Companions is that it, it arises out of an experience I had with a clinical supervisor a long time ago. I walked into his office and I said, I'm stuck with all my therapy clients. And he turned around with his little smile on mm. his face. He said, well, if you're, if you're stuck in therapy, it's because you don't share the same goal as the, as the client. And I thought mm. it can't be that can't be that easy. And I went into every session and I asked my clients, "What's your goal for our therapy?" And in every case, it was different than mine. And I've applied that truth to every relationship going forward. If I feel stuck in a relationship, it's because we don't share the same goal. So what I explain in True Companions is that if there is one goal in your relationship, it's that you are are mutually committing to holding yourself accountable for the tenets of true companionship, for um, connecting with and expressing your loneliness when it happens, being aware of your protections and, and uh, working to, to move beyond them rather than always blaming your partner, right, for what their protections are and how they're manifesting, um, being intentional about cultivating and priming your fragility so that you're really paying close attention. Like this is the mutual responsibility and ought to be the one goal of every companionship is that I'm going to, I can trust you to do your part in that. And you can trust me to do my part because we share that goal. And now we don't have to be constantly keeping score because we trust each other. We're, we're ruthlessly committed to that kind of mutuality. All right. And then we have a minute to talk about um, number seven on the list. And so when we talk about along the way, we will discover a love that is not higher than unconditional love, but a better fit for human skin. What, um, what does that mean? You know, it, it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, this idea that unconditional love can, can happen from very far away. Um, you know, I love you unconditionally, or even it can it can wear away at the good work of companionship. Just love me unconditionally, right? Don't challenge me to grow. Don't challenge me mm. to become a more loving person, right? Um, love me as if I'm already perfect when, we, of course, we know none of us are. Um, and so I think of like, I mean, I'm a metaphor guy because I'm a therapist. So I think uh, like unconditional love is the foundation to a house and companionship is everything else. It's the framing out. It's the roofing. It's the, you know, it's the decorating. It's the warmth and the love that happens inside of it. It or, you know, unconditional love is like a seed and companionship is, is the watering and the fertilizing and the tending and the, the blooming and the pruning and pruning and all that good stuff. Um, you know, unconditional love is like the, it's, it's like the caterpillar that goes into the cocoon and companionship is, is that thing that happens within the cocoon where you grow into something more beautiful. It's the process of bursting out of the protections of your cocoon so that you can actually be together. It's the process of flying together and recognizing that your life is relatively fleeting um, and enjoying it as such. Um, and and so it's a good foundation, but companionship is is everything else that that sort of is built up upon that foundation. That's just awesome. All right. I'm so delighted to make your acquaintance today. 
Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Dr. Kelly Flanagan's website is Dr. Dr. Kelly Flanagan, F, uh, fl- fl- like flan, and then A-G-A-N. <laughs> right. All right, drkellyflanagan.com. He's got a podcast. Uh, we've been talking today about his brand new book, True Companions. Again, if you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies we have available in studio, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Kelly, what a delight. Carmen, this was lovely. Thank you for the time. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. What a joy um, to spend some time with you today. Thank you for walking with me during this time. Uh, A listener texted in and said, I just love tuning in because I just feel like you're here with me. Well, I am. That's exactly how this works. And so thank you so much for being with me, inviting me to be with you. Um, As we walk together in this journey of faith in the world that God so loves, it's a privilege to do so with brothers and sisters in Christ like you. Um, Know that I am praying for you today. I count on the fact that you are also praying for me and for mine. Uh, The world is, you know, it's a challenging place, right? It always has been. Uh, And until Jesus comes again, it, it always will be. And so we recognize that and we walk by faith in the midst of it all. Uh, Let us do so today with joy and thanksgiving, um, giving glory and honor to the Lord our God. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.